Hello, everyone. Welcome to Random Encounter 288 or 288. My name is John O'Logan, and I just want to say that here at RPG Fan, we are all about love. We have love of video games, love of RPGs, uh, love of waiting years and years and years for a game to be released, and when it finally is, it turns out to be good. So given that this is the month of love, this episode is going to be dedicated to love, and I will probably let go of this conceit about 10 minutes in, but it makes for a fun opening. So I want to you know, express my love and appreciation for our panel today. Des? Uh, love you too, bro. Oh, thank you. And Alex? Hello. Do either of you have any big Valentine's Day plans? Because Valentine's Day is coming up in about a week and a half now. Uh, I have none, by the way, just zero. Amanda and I never do anything for Valentine's Day, and we're totally fine with that. Uh, I would say my plans are waiting for all of the chocolate to go on sale the next day, and mm. just swooping it up and making a killing at work. Love of chocolate and your coworkers. Yeah, just be like, yeah, these are cheap. Don't worry about where I got them. <laughs> yeah, my, my partner and I uh, are probably going to go to a fancy dinner, but not on Valentine's Day because that's when you get ripped off. We're probably going to go like the day before, the day after, and it's going to be great. So looking forward to that. See, that's my favorite kind of love. And this is not this is not an insult at all because I have it too. It's, it's thrifty love where you're like, <laughs> I love you, but also I'm not an idiot. <laughs> and I uh, I am going to not spend all of that money when we don't have to. And instead we can get the exact same experience for far cheaper the next day. Um, so for both of you, whether or not you are going for a delicious, delicious romantic dinner after Valentine's day, or whether or not you are getting all of the chocolate after Valentine's day, uh, much love to you. And uh, now let's start talking about a game that Des has a, I would say you've had a love hate relationship with it for years because we keep making you write the most anticipated for 20 XDX blurb every year for it. And that is Grand Blue Fantasy Relink. So, uh, Grand Blue Fantasy Relink has been on our most anticipated list in 2020, 2022, 2023, and 2024. Des, you wrote the blurb for the last three years, so 22, 23, 24. Uh, we were planning on making you write it for our most anticipated uh, of 2025 list as well. What happened? What? 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 We're, we're, you're not going to be writing it next year? I mean, I can still write it. I pretty much wrote up one as preparation. Because uh, I was expecting this to get uh, delayed again. There's a large part of me that still refuses to admit this game exists. So, uh, listeners, I would just take everything that Death says here with a grain of salt because it might just be all lies or some kind of diluted fever dream based on us making him write it for so many years. Uh, I can't believe this finally got released. Yeah, it's it's been such a, a long time, and it's weird because when you think about like, oh yeah, you know, 2016 was only four years ago, and then you're like. No, it's not. <laughs> that was like eight years ago. Yeah. More actually, more importantly, not that I can't it's not just that I can't believe this got released, it's that I can't believe it got released and it's good. Um that that's not supposed to happen. Uh, anyway, okay, so a little bit of background here. Grand Blue Fantasy was a mobile turn-based RPG released in 2014, became a massive hit in Japan. Uh, it was compared to a lot of early Final Fantasy games, uh, though it had some rather exploitative gacha elements, which actually I believe caused some controversy and changes of law in Japan because of them. Anyway, the game spun off into an anime adaptation in 2017. There was a 2D fighting game named Grand Blue Fantasy vs. Rising that was released just a few months ago in December 2023. But the game that we were all waiting for was Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, which was, it, it was announced in uh, 2016 as a collaboration between Psy Games and Platinum Games. Then Platinum dropped out of the project in 2019. Then presumably COVID happened. Uh, which caused likely many more delays. And then there were more delays after that. And now it's out. So Des, after several years, several years, actually, no, seven years, uh, was it worth the wait? 
I would say it's lived up uh, to the expectations over the seven years, but I, it's hard to say if like it's worth waiting seven years for any game. Uh, Nothing is worth waiting seven years, but it is a good game. Yeah, it, and what's also kind of crazy is that it's releasing in the worst time period that it possibly <laughs> could because there's what? There's Like a Dragon, uh, Final Fantasy VII uh, Rebirth. There's also Persona the Reload. And then Dragon's Dogma is very close. And then like five or six more RPGs that are all launching in Q1. So it's like after all this time, it has all this time to shine. And then there's just like a dog pile of every other RPG in the world on top of it. So uh, I guess it's got something going for it when it's like still able to, you know, stand atop that pile for until what the next couple weeks. Yeah, in a weird way, it'd be like, wow, they really missed the they really uh, dodged a bullet by not releasing in 2023 because that year was packed. But then they released it in February 2024. Um, the, the rest of the year is actually, I mean, there are there are some interesting games coming out, but at the moment, it's fairly barren. Uh, we talked about that last week, actually, but I suspect that come uh, Naughty 3 2024, we'll be seeing some more big releases announced. Um, so let's just talk about Grand Blue Fantasy Relink and not the the massive amount of baggage that comes with this game. Uh, you mentioned in the review that it blends together a lot of different action RPGs, uh, Yee's, uh, Tales, Monster Hunter. You also said that you enjoyed it more than Final Fantasy XVI. Uh, so, and you liked XVI as well. So what about this game? Uh, if, if you like any of these titles, any of these series, what about this game will make you want to play it? So I think one thing is that when it was first announced and we talked about like Platinum Games being on it, even though Platinum was either kicked off the project or stepped away, this still feels like 100% of a platinum game. And so if you like character action RPGs or just, you know, action RPGs in general, like this takes a lot of elements from, from like East and Tales and Monster Hunter and even stuff like Final Fantasy 16 as well, which we can talk about a little bit later. But it just kind of combines everything and feels like a greatest hits while still having like its own identity to it. What's also interesting in terms of like identity is that there's so much crossover in terms of the like mythology that they pull because like they pull a lot of our uh mythology from you know earth like final fantasy does but there's a lot of crossover to where you'll be fighting some of the same name characters like uh scarmleone from i believe final fantasy 4 i believe it's pronounced millen uh millen Millen. (laughs) sorry that's a final fantasy 2 joke um But it, it's kind of funny that this, and I do mention that I, I liked it a lot more than 16, and I, I really like 16, is it, it kind of feels like everything I wanted 16 to be, and I can elaborate that on a little bit, but it's it just combines everything and feels really good while being a very like tightly paced and just kind of like frantic action game that feels like Platinum made it without having the you know Platinum weirdness to it. Mm. Uh, do you need to play the original game to enjoy this? Because I, it, I mean, it's... It's technically not a sequel. It's not even a. It's, it takes place in the same world as the original. So, uh, are there any like crossover characters or areas that kind of thing? So you don't have to play it. So what's inter- What's interesting is that the even though it's a sequel, it's kind of far along in the storyline to where everything that happened in like Grand Blue, uh, the mobile game and uh, the fighting game, mm-hmm. you don't really have to know. I went into this knowing extremely little. All I know is that my two favorite characters from the fighting game, one of them's in here and the other one's not. So Mm. what's 
also kind of nice is that, and I, I mentioned it in the review, is that you don't have to know anything. And the glossary system is very useful to where you can just press square real quick and be like, what the heck is Tempeel? What is this church? What is this person? I love when they include that feature in games. Yeah. And in six, uh, Final Fantasy 16, it helped a lot where you can just pause real quick, see what this flower is, who this person is. So it, it really helps with trying to understand the world. But the best part about uh, Grand Blue is that they have these little fate episodes to where you get a either like a short story. It's, it's usually like a minute or two from the perspective and voice of the character that kind of says like, here's who I am. Here's how I got here. Here's how I joined the crew and here's what I'm doing now. And then it kind of goes a little bit further into what they're doing during the time that the actual story in Relink is going down too. Cause mm. not all the characters in the game, there's like 19 or 18. Uh, they're not all in the cutscenes cause that would be crazy because a lot of them are very highly produced, uh, you know, pre-rendered cutscenes. So they can't account for every configuration. Um, so it, it is a little bit weird, but they do the best they can. And I think it works great. Hmm. How is the story? It's pretty good. Um, actually, what did I give it? Let me scroll down a little bit. I'm going to give it like two. a Give it a 90. Yeah. So the character interactions. So I'm also including kind of the backstories of the characters because some of them are like kind of heartbreaking. Like there's a guy, the guy with the eye patch and the beard, uh -huh. if you've seen him. Mm -hmm. uh, Oigen, he's a sharpshooter and he's like 50 years old. And so it's great to have like an older... Wait, is he 50 years old or is he like RPG 50 years old? So he's like 27. Quite literally 50 years old, but he looks like RPG 27, if that okay. makes any sense. So you know how Sid from Final Fantasy is like, what, 30 years old and he's got like achy back and a cane. He looks and... like he's 50, yeah. Yeah. So the opposite of that. Yeah, so he's kind of a mixture. But when I was reading his backstory and, you know, kind of getting the story from him in first person, it's kind of a little bit heartbreaking on like what happened to him. And he's the last character that I thought I would care about because he's kind of just like, oh, yeah, I'm the I'm the drunk. Uh, <laughs> and then you kind of find out why. And you're like, oh, well, sorry, dude. But uh, we'll I guess get through you this have a reason to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... It's been really interesting to kind of get the backstory in pieces of every character and then going through the game itself. Uh, but the story overall, I thought it was pretty great in how it characterizes all of the like characters, uh, especially the captain and uh, Lyria, who's the, the blue-haired girl. Mm -hmm. So overall, it was really interesting. It, it felt a little tropey at times, but it felt like a fresh spin on the trope of like, uh, we're going to you know open a gateway to the gods kind of thing. Um, mm. so it, it does a lot and it, it still feels like it's taking these elements from these other games and just, you know, putting its own special touch on it and being like just different enough to where it feels familiar, but also kind of fresh. Uh, in terms of the, I guess, some of the backstory, the characters, is that revealed through any of the quests or are the quests completely separate from that? And they're just like little mini stories throughout the game. So it is, you kind of have to go into the quest counter and there's a little thing called fate episodes. But mm -hmm. there is a gameplay relevant reason or like uh, encouragement to do it is that you get stat boosts, you open up new slots, you get uh, equipment and things like that from these episodes. So it's also where you pick your favorite character and you're kind of like, well, what's their deal? If you have no idea who they are, mm. you'll kind of dig into who they are um, and then just, you know, buff them up and just kind of get a feel for them, like who they are and why they're maybe talking like a jerk to everyone all the time and why everybody just kind of brushes it off. Hmm. In terms of like you were mentioning slots and things like that, it, it seems like Relink offers 
really surprisingly so because i mean they're they're de- defined characters in terms of their personalities but a heck of a lot of customization uh for characters and their builds how do the skill trees work uh so every character has three skill trees essentially so there's offense which is offensive and mm-hmm. defense which so you can get skills from either of those trees and so it also depends on like if one character is more of a tank who kind of takes more damage and heals more and has higher defense. A lot of their skills might be based on the defense skill tree. Mm. But you also have a skill tree for your weapons, but it's not really a skill tree, it's just a straight line. So you can or put a points- skill branch. Yeah, a skill branch. So it's like a, a skill tree with two, uh, I guess, trunks and a branch. <laughs> but you can put a lot <laughs> of points- Basically a dead tree at that point, really. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what's also interesting is that the weapons, so I. I believe there's seven or eight different weapons for each person and each weapon specializes in a certain thing. So one might be based on critical hits. One might be based on defense. One might be based on uh, like stun damage. So you can level them up and some are a little bit stronger. Some might specify in uh, certain like areas. Mm. So with your skill tree, you can kind of tailor your character out to be a little more focused on offense or defense. And then eventually you'll have everything. But then with your weapons, you can kind of tailor your style a little bit more towards like crits and things like that. Like um, one of the characters I mentioned in the review is Cagliostro, who is an alchemist who is uh, very old uh, despite her appearance, but she keeps transporting herself into new bodies. Mm-hmm. But she starts with a fairly high crit rate. So I decided, screw it, I'm just going to go full on crit with her. And mm-hmm. it paid off very well because I just kind of tailored everything I was doing towards that. But if I had a different weapon, I can tailor her towards stun or make her drain HP or heal the party. Just all of this customization around a character that is like a known quantity um, in game of like, it's kind of like making Cloud or Tifa do something they're normally not supposed to do. So mm. like if you want to make Tifa a healer, for example, so you can definitely do that kind of thing. Can you respec after you're done or are you locked into one path once you start? So you're, you don't have to choose either tree. Um, but I bel- actually, I haven't checked if you can get your points back, but everything's cheap enough and you get so many points along the way that you can just get everything. And so you don't have to pick offense or defense. It's just more like when you're unlocking, do you want to focus more on offense first? And then you can go mm-hmm. back and get the defense ones. But what's also interesting is that a lot of the trees or well, the two trees are you get them in chunks. And so you only get about 50% of the skill trees. Uh, until you hit credits. And then the rest is opened up way later in post-game. Oh, okay. Um, you mentioned in the review something called the sigil system? Yeah, so those Which are... Which is another way, that another way I guess, to develop your characters. Yeah, so you'll get sigils, and they're just things that you equip to your character, and they might do more crit or uh, hit more damage to weak points, or you might drain HP, you might charge faster, or you might do more damage with charge attacks. So there are a ton of these sigils and you level them up and you can also just kind of i believe it's as you're using them you can level them up so like the more you fight with you know your critical sigil on it'll rank up and be stronger and stronger and stronger or you can get materials and just rank it up yourself Um, so with the fate episodes mentioned earlier you can get more slots to set more things up so you kind of learn about your character get more slots and then just kind of make them like a walking like death machine See, I really like that. I like the idea of uh, uh, being able to upgrade your, I guess in this, 
their sigils, but you know, accessories, for example, uh, with you. So you do grow attached to certain accessories after a while, and uh, that you don't need to leave it behind. You can you can bring it up to your level. That's I like that. Yeah, and with the the rarity, there's going to be the the common, uncommon, epic, legendary, all that jazz. They have certain caps, so you might have a sigil that's like charge damage up twenty percent, but it only caps at level seven. So you might be on the hunt for maybe a higher rarity one that has a higher cap because once you level it up, you'll maybe do 30%, 40%, 50%. It gets The numbers get really big later on. So it is kind of nice to spec in that. Or once you're done with it, like maybe you found a better one and then you think, oh, another character on my team could really deal a lot more damage if I give them this charge sigil as well. So it's, it's kind of nice to give your other characters hand-me-downs or or maybe just kind of retool the system because maybe you got something nice and shiny that sounds better on paper. So um, it's it's a really cool system to kind of keep you experimenting and then being rewarded for trying new things. Well, the end point of all of this, of course, is to prepare your characters for battle. Uh, and this is an action RPG uh, with party. So it's a party-based action. It's a party-based action RPG. Uh, how does the combat system here work? You mentioned that it's super, super fun. You actually, I think you mentioned you enjoy it a little bit more than Final Fantasy 16s in a way, which yeah. is saying something because you know <laughs> Final Fantasy 16, as I understand it, is uh, the combat was the best thing in that game. Yes. So 16, the combat in 16, it kind of felt like you were playing Devil May Cry by yourself, and then the AI was just kind of there helping out a little bit. Uh, in Grand Blue, it kind of feels like you're all contributing towards something. So the combat is like you have your your basic attacks, your um, heavy attacks. But what's interesting is that every character plays completely differently. So like in uh, the screenshot in the review, you might see the captain or Jita, uh, and then Catalina, Oregon, and the mage Eo. So they all play like from their completely different games. So like. Oigen is the sharpshooter. He can just jump into third-person mode, throw grenades, uh, shoot them in midair, set all these status effects. While, like, oh, that's Catal really cool. Yeah. And while like Catalina, she's kind of a little bit more focused on like ice attacks and being like the tank. But she can also summon like this, this ghostly specter thing called Ares and share her buffs with the party. So she's very different than the rest, and her combo systems are completely different than like the captain, who's kind of kind of your basic uh you know hack and slash um you know light 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 heavy kind of character mm. but the captain has their own system as well where the more combos they do then their skills get stronger over time and then like the mage for example eo she can charge her attacks she can charge and then quick cast into other things she can set down like a uh, a little glyph on the ground that grants people the ability to not get interrupted so there's just a lot of different gameplay styles. And so that's only four of them out of the like 17. That's a lot. Yeah. And some of them are more technical than others. Like there's one that I still can't really get the hang of, which is Zeta. She's the the red or red armored, blonde haired spear user. So she's basically a dragoon from Final Fantasy. Mm -hmm. And she's based around like specific timing that I am awful at doing. And so Every time I jump in the air, I'm like, I'm going to hit all three of these perfect attacks because you get a reward, uh, essentially, when you hit all three of them perfect. But I always fail on the second one. Um, but occasionally, I'll get the third one. Um, so it's it's nice when it happens, but I'm not good enough at that. With that many playable characters in the game, I suspect that it is... It's, I would imagine it's difficult to play them all more than... Because, I mean, obviously... It, 
eventually you're probably going to land upon at least I would if I was playing this like the four or however many characters are in the party uh, that best suit my style that I like the most that I find the most fun and I'm sorry the rest of you are just gonna have to wait by the pub uh, is that the case here or was pretty much everyone really enjoyable so it's it's kind of like what you mentioned before where you'll kind of settle on your party that you prefer so one of the main six characters uh Rosetta I didn't use her at all until uh post game because I had my party of Jita, Eo, Catalina and then I was using um Cagliostro the, the alchemist who does all the crazy stuff and so I was just dumping points into my current party and I kind of set some people by the wayside but once I started just kind of experimenting and testing out Rosetta um her playstyle is just wildly different to where I couldn't even like guess what it was. So essentially, the way that she fights is she's all about roses and thorns, and so you can plant roses. Hey, all love! The- th- we're back in the love theme again. You exactly. tied it in. It's, it's all about roses. <laughs> it's all about love and roses, and um, so she kind of sets these like roses down on the battlefield, and then they attack the enemies, and then draw the enemies towards them. But then the roses level up, and then they explode. It's it's like playing a tower defense game in the middle of like playing an action game as well so everyone's like weird and it's really really exciting and fun which character do you find okay let's go with the love theme which character do you love the most i think eo the uh the little mage because she has all these wild like charges but her like in terms of gameplay she's one of the most fun along with cagliostro so i've been on this like kick lately of playing mages in games because i've spent so much of my life playing like the dual sword assassin in pretty much any game that I could. But it's been really interesting to kind of see like what kind of power um, you could wield in like a magic class. Um, so just being able to set these like giant tornadoes and status effects, which I'll also get into later regarding Final Fantasy 16. Uh, it's, it's just nice to have so many options and just kind of control over these elements. Hmm. But there was no character that I disliked, but granted I've only played about eight or nine of them. So I've still got a long way to go before I find out if I really hate someone's style. I know it's a fairly common name, but whenever you say Cagliostro, my mind immediately goes to Lupin the Third, uh, the castle of Cagliostro. Have you ever seen it? I have not, but uh, I know Cagliostro from, I believe, uh, Symphogear, which is uh, basically magical girls and giant robots combined into one almost. But that's a story for another day. Pretty much everything is. I I am not a fan. I I don't dislike anime. I'm not a fan of anime, but I do have to admit, Castle of Cagliostro was a a damn enjoyable uh, movie, and it was I think it was one of Miyazaki's first films, actually. Oh, um, it's great. Maybe, it's, maybe even his first. It was um, a lot of the style of it was apparently an inspiration for a lot of uh, a lot of action scenes in movies. It's said to have one of the best car chase scenes in movie history. I am going to note this down. It's great. It's really great. Um, it's not, it's a 1979 anime, and it doesn't look like it. It's pretty damn fresh. Uh, oh, I really man. enjoyed it. I watched it a few years ago at the cottage. Every year, Amanda and I go up to the cottage, and we, we would just watch a Miyazaki movie. I mean, we would watch a bunch of movies while we were up there, but every year, we would watch at least one during the trip, and that was the one from a few years ago. And oh. now we are out. Well, until uh, until the new one comes out on DVD dvd what is this 2007 until the new one comes out in some form of (laughs) there's something about like late 70s early 80s anime that like has a certain look to it that i like so i'm I'm very curious what this looks like now yeah actually that's a fairly decent way to pivot into the graphical style of this game because 
Uh, it is a very, very pretty looking game. Like on the surface, it does just look anime, but the style of it, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how I'd describe it. It looks like a, almost a cross between Breath of the Wild and Dragon Quest, uh, Dragon Quest 11, but with a slightly more painterly style to it, a little bit more watercolor. Yeah, that would work. Maybe with a touch of like Tales, uh, like Tales of Arise. So it's kind of like a, a mixture of all those which then lends into what the whole i guess thesis of the game is just that it's a mixture of like every jrpg uh, in the best way it's a gorgeous looking game yeah and so what's also interesting is that the the backgrounds are you know like the skybox you'll see like these it looks like a, a painting like i wouldn't say a bob ross painting but it gives me the same feeling of like seeing a bob ross painting of like this is really pretty even for how like basic it is. And we're going to put a little mage over here. Yeah, <laughs> just a happy little mage casting happy little fireballs. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like, the visuals are like, even on PS5, um, running it at like 1080p, because um, I don't have a 4K TV yet. I, it looked gorgeous. I, everything in motion, just it runs at like 60 frames a second too. So it's just, it's smooth and just kind of buttery and just looks really nice. It's very pleasant to look at. Um, mm. And so when you're running through like the desert or snow fields or even the volcano, everything just looks nice and it's all popping at you like it's trying to grab your attention. So there were a lot of times that I stopped to just kind of look around both at the skybox to kind of get that, you know, Bob Ross nostalgia and mm-hmm. uh, just kind of get like just how everything looks like a playable anime. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just very smooth and bright and I really like how it looks. It's very, very pretty. How Outside of the graphical style, because the game looks gorgeous, uh, how do you feel about the uh, design of the game in terms of, like, I would say the, the UI in terms of, because I've watched some of the combat and it can get a little bit busy, not like super, super unbelievably busy, but it can get a little bit busy with all that's happening on the screen. Uh, how did you find it was, uh, its user friendliness was for its UI? Uh, I thought it was pretty pretty smooth and just like easy on the eyes there is a lot on screen but it's not like a xenoblade uh screenshot to where you have maybe what a fifth of the screen where you can actually see what's going on um so with this it's it just kind of looks nice easy to read everything that's there is there for a reason so it it can look busy uh but when you're you know in the middle of battle and kind of focused on what's going on nothing feels overwhelming so you can just kind of look over check your your link gauge uh, you can check your HP. Everything feels the right size and it's not too intrusive. So uh, I think they did a, a stellar job on just kind of the the UI in general. Um, and just the look and feel of it is very kind of cohesive and it, it fits into everything as well. So like when characters are talking, you'll see the little portrait of them uh, down in the bottom. Mm-hmm. And it, it never feels jarring or out of place. It just it all feels very well thought out. Uh, one of the, I guess, the defining parts of Grand Blue Fantasy, the original Grand Blue Fantasy, was the music. Uh, much of it was composed by uh, Uematsu, um, which is one of the reasons I think it was compared to early Final Fantasy. Um, now, I, I don't believe he composed the music here, but that's a pretty high bar to live up to. Uh, how's the music for this game? So with Uematsu, I believe he only worked early on, like you said. So his protege, Narita, has done, I would say, the vast majority of the soundtrack here. And mm-hmm. it's great. Um, I really like the music. It, it kind of fit perfectly. And I've had a lot of the tracks stuck in my head. But even though I'm very high on the music and I, I like it, I can't name 
like a song versus like if I'm listening to like an Atelier Games soundtrack where I can be like, oh, this is, you know, this exact song that plays at, you know, this point in the game. So it's definitely very good. Um, it's it's hard to say. It's 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 great, but it's not like the greatest thing you've ever heard, if, if that makes any sense at all. Mm. Like, and there's no bad songs. Um, everything feels good. They make the battles very exciting. The towns feel really like just kind of wholesome and welcoming. But they do get stuck in your ear, or you know, like as earworms do. Yeah. And but I couldn't name a song. It's it sounds like it's a really that's actually not necessarily a bad thing if the music fits the game that well and there's nothing that makes that takes you out of it. If it creates a feeling that really immerses you in the world, then the composer's done their job right. Yeah, and it does feel like all the music is very fitting with the world, but it's not something that I would put on the OS or the the soundtrack to versus like Final Fantasy VII Remake, where I will just put on the soundtrack because it's so wildly varied and crazy. And uh, also it's got like, what, 20, almost 30 years of nostalgia. So yeah, we're going to be getting another dose of that in about a month. Yeah, I'm um, excited. Yeah, I think a lot of people are. So how much game is here? Because I just finished Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, and I honestly don't know if I could handle another 100-hour game for a little bit, for a little while. What are we looking at here for, in terms of just, how long do you, how long would it take to play the main quest and how much post game is there so this took me about 19 hours to beat just the story oh, that's uh, great one, one of my friends beat it in about 12 and a half but he skipped a lot of the optional uh, boss fights and so the story itself is is very well paced it's very quick very nice uh, but the post game is where everything else is where you're playing like these optional quests you're doing uh, kind of the part two of the story like an epilogue in, in a sense so if the first 20, we'll say, is the story, the second part would be the other 80 hours if you want to just kind of go through everything, unlock all these difficulties, fight new bosses, play with your friends. So in a sense, it's like part one is just, you know, a, a very quick paced uh, RPG. Part two is like Monster Hunter to where if it clicks and you love it, you're going to be spending 100, 200, 300 hours on this. That sounds like... Uh a decent value for your money, especially if it clicks with you. Yeah, I saw some people a little upset, well, not upset, a little disappointed by the story being so short, but I thought it was perfectly paced and it didn't feel like it was overstaying its welcome. And I was very happy with it being uh, just as brief as it was because now I can focus on on the other parts of it that I really want to dig real deep into. That's super important. And I, frankly speaking, I am absolutely delighted that this game lived up to your uh, rather long long lived expectations uh i'm still slightly unconvinced that you actually played the game and this is just some like massive prank by mike salvato uh and i'm the only one who can see this review so this is just all the most anticipated uh 2026 article that i've written so it, it's all theoretical we're just gonna publish this for next year's <laughs> next year's uh feature that's that's that sounds like a good that sounds like a good reuse of material yeah and then I did. I did talk a lot about Final Fantasy sixteen. So I guess uh, before I get yelled at by uh, people, is named like, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> so I think Zach and I were both very high on sixteen, uh, but there's a lot of things that it doesn't do um, that I kind of want. So I'm a big fan of like status effects and uh, conditional attacks of like, you know, if enemy is poisoned, do this, or you know, if slow, do that. So with 16 is your element didn't matter whether you're using fire, wind, ice, it doesn't matter. If you're fighting an ice dragon with fire, 
your damage is going to be the same if you hit it with ice. Uh, so in Grand Blue, it you do more damage with your elements. You don't get punished for doing, you know, uh, using ice against fire. But what's really nice is being able to slap like slow poison paralysis defense down, attack down, any other stat down. And it feels good to have that kind of control that you just didn't have in Final Fantasy. Uh, well, that's strategy. Yeah, and it, it feels really good to... And a lot of RPGs that I've seen, except for Dragon Quest, um, just they don't let you beat up the boss or bully them that much with like status effects. But games like Dragon Quest and Trails let you do it all the time. I remember uh, one boss, I think it was one of the endgame bosses in Dragon Quest Eleven, where... If you land poison on it and then use Eric's move, where if the enemy's poisoned, you do like six times damage, like that felt really good and really cool to do. So it's it's kind of disappointing when games don't let you do that. I've unfortunately completely blanked out on the end game of Final of uh, of uh, Dragon Quest Eleven. Uh, in my mind, the game ended after the second part, um, but that is a controversial controversial opinion that I should probably keep to myself and not mention on Retro Encounter at any point. It's an opinion that I share. Ah, well, that's delightful. I love Act Three of Dragon Quest Eleven. Oh, now oh, we get dare to fight finally! Oh, fudge sickles. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm telling Solosi. <laughs> the love is gone, everyone. There is no more love. It's just pure spite. Dragon <laughs> Quest spite. Um, well, that's, thanks for coming on and talking about Grand Blue Fantasy Relink. It is stunning that this game finally released like i said early on i am even more stunned that it's good um because oftentimes games that are stuck in development hell for this long there's just especially seven years there are so many i guess cooks in the kitchen there are so many people trying to put their own stamp on things trying to change things i don't like this let's you know they, they they make their own uh they bring their own opinions to the party and it usually ends up as kind of a mess and this doesn't sound like a mess. This looks, sounds, it sounds great. Um, and I am delighted by the fact that it has finally been released. And I'm delighted by the fact that you are getting a tremendous amount of enjoyment out of the postgame. If anyone deserves it, you do. <laughs> it's It's been great and I'm very happy with it. And I encourage anyone uh, who likes just action RPGs at all, if you like East or Tales or Monster Hunter or even Final Fantasy 16. I think I've mentioned before, it does everything I wish 16 did, including uh, boss fights and set pieces. And just it's one of the most spectacular experiences. I'm very positive on it. So give it a shot. It's short. And if you like what you played throughout the 20 hours of the story, then, you know, definitely jump in with a bunch of friends and beat the crap out of some goblins and really, really, really big monsters. Cool. Well, speaking about beating the crap out of a bunch of monsters with your friends, uh, we're going to pivot now over to Persona. Uh, so I would say, okay, let, heck, let's do the love theme again. Uh, I would argue that there are very few RPG series out there, modern RPG series out there that folks love as much as the Persona series. Uh, but the funny thing is when they usually talk about Persona, they're usually not talking about the first and second game. The, the Persona series as we know it today really started to take shape with Persona 3, uh, primarily because it was the first game to offer the social aspects of the gameplay, including social links for the first time. So uh, the thing about Persona 3 is that I think a lot of people have played Persona 3. I think a lot of people have played different versions of Persona 3 because there are so many different versions of this game. So there's the original, which was released in 2006, Shemagami Tensei Persona 3 for the PlayStation 2. Uh, that was the original game. Then there was Persona 3 
either FES or FES, uh, which was released a year later, and that added in a ton of extra playable content. There were a bunch of other changes. There was a bunch of there epilogue story content. Uh, then the version that I think a lot of people, most people might have played is the uh, Persona 3 Portable for the PSP. It was released in 2009. And I guess you could say it was an abridged version of the game. It cut all 3D exploration out of it. It cut out animated cutscenes, um, but it also improved the battle system by allowing you to control the entire party. And uniquely in the Persona series and with a great much fanfare, they uh, allow you to play as a female protagonist. Uh, so now we have a brand new version of the game, which many people, including uh, the person I'm about to talk to, says is kind of the, the definitive, this is the version of the game you should play, and that is Persona 3 Reload. It is a remake of the original version of the game, so there's no content from any of the other versions, uh, which unfortunately means no female protagonist option. Uh, however, it seems like this remake, Persona 3 Reload, lives up to the sky-high expectations set by uh, Personas 4 and 5, and the, it delivers a game which lives up to the original while also bringing it up to the standard set by the more modern entries of the game. Now, Alex, you have some Persona 3 experience, right? You So, how, how, okay, actually, my first question for you is, how do you pronounce it? Is it F-E-S or just F-E-S? Uh, I go with FES, but uh, you know it, it depends on what like state or province you're from. Because FES means butt in French, so whenever <laughs> I say Persona Three FES, I'm like, <laughs> um, okay, so FES, we'll go with FES. Um, which version of the game did you play originally? I originally played, so it was actually a bit complicated because um... what's possibly complicated about the complete thing I just described? <laughs> and the... Well, you know, it's complicated. Um, so I actually started, um, I, I tried Persona 3 Portable when I got a PSP uh, and I hacked it and I got it for free. Um, so I gave it a shot there and... Um, That's then... not allowed, by the way. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's, not, it's, it's, not, it's only allowed on the DS. I mean, no, it's not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. Um, so yeah, I, I tried Portable on the PSP and the the whole like lack of an explorable 3d space uh for the game world just kind of put me off i was really excited to finally play persona 3 it, it was on my radar ever since it originally came out on the ps2 um but i was a little kid who didn't have money for games uh and i probably uh wouldn't have been able to to purchase a mature rated game under uh my parents guidance at the time Mm -hmm. um so uh i played portable in secret with my psp one of the advantages of that particular console exactly um and so i had a, a really interesting time with it uh i, I was really invested in uh, how are they going to incorporate like these social sim elements where you uh, you spend hours of the game like not even uh, without any even potential to run into a monster and you're just interacting with characters that that was so cool and fresh and, and appealing to me yeah it's one of the reasons i i like like jrpgs in the first place is because you had this party of characters and you got to hang out with them throughout the game so hmm. persona 3 just had like an immediate appeal for me um but i didn't like the visual novel kind of format uh i've grown more into liking visual novels um uh, and things like that in recent years but at the time it, it was a bit of a turnoff so uh, I soon was able to get Persona 3 FES um, on my PS3 and I pivoted uh, to try that out and uh, I liked it a lot more 
uh, even though I wasn't able to control my party members. Um, I justified it to myself being like, well, they're their own people. They get to choose what moves they want to do. But in hindsight, it's just like pretty uh, unfortunate game design uh, that leads to some frustrating situations. But regardless, uh, I really liked FVS. Mm. Um, and uh, it is my preferred version out of the two. Um, and so, yeah, that, that that's kind of how I got into the series. Um, I then tried Persona 4. Uh, it didn't really hit the same way for me because I just... The thing that really resonated with me about Persona 3 was uh, the cast and like how like they weren't necessarily all like friends, but they were like brought together uh, to fight these supernatural shadows that were emerging from this spooky tower called Tartarus. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just loved the dynamics between them. They, they felt like such a believable cast to me. It was, it was really like blew my mind uh, as a as a whole party. Uh, based on your description in the review, it kind of reminded me a bit more of a I guess a found family sort of group where it's not necessarily everyone gets along, not everyone's best friends, but they're together. They're, they're tied together by their circumstances. Exactly. And, and they learn to work together and they grow together. And mm. um, unlike four and, and also five, and, and I don't want to like say, I don't like four and five. I think they're great games, uh, but they have a lot more of just a uh, let's go gang kind of dynamic between the party. They heavily focalize the main character as kind of the, uh, the center of that party where everybody else is kind of just like a node who comes to the center first and foremost. But in Persona 3, the characters have like some of the characters have histories with each other and they have their own kind of arcs that they experience uh, together and just like, uh, a way that the four and five just didn't quite hit with me in the same way. So I was really excited when they said this this remake was getting out because uh, as much as I love Persona 3, I have to own up to its, its flaws. The fact that Tartarus was originally a huge grind, the fact that the battle system not being able to control every party member was uh, a bit of a problem. And um, yeah, I, I just never went back to the game because I had to acknowledge that it, it's kind of flawed. And especially as years have gone on, those flaws have have become more prominent. It's fascinating to me that this game really does, as I said earlier, it, it stands as a, a, a transition point uh, between its origins as a Shin Megami Tensei spinoff and what the series would eventually become with 4 and 5. And in this particular remake, uh, it's really pulling from 4 and 5 in terms of uh, the the upgrades to the gameplay, the visual design, that kind of stuff. Um, how would you say that, I guess, that modern infusion of Persona uh, improved the overall experience? So it just made it, like, way more playable. Um, like, you know, time, it changes the way we look at the video games we play. It changes the way we can experience games of old. Some games age better than others, and... Um, all the kind of quality of life features and the new uh, like presentation that you get with Persona 3 Reload. Um, mm, I was going to say that the, the presentation, I'm not even talking about the graphics here. I just mean the visual design. Uh, it's much more in line with Persona 5's, you know, very eye-catching visual design, but it still maintains its own style. It doesn't look like Persona 5, but it's, it looks, it looks like Persona as I, as I picture Persona to be. Mm, absolutely like i think five um really just made the most of like the kind of ui style they were already getting at with three and four um so while some people might be a, a little bit 
cynical about reload being like oh it's just turning persona 3 into persona 5 it's like no this still feels so much like persona 3 it's just they have learned from everything that they've achieved with 5 and brought it back to this remake and i think it works out great i think the game still retains its identity um it's not just persona 5 but blue uh by any means yeah it has a it has a very blue color scheme but it, it maintains those uh those sharp angles and and the things that are kind of askew and it, it's it looks like a persona game so it's really cool that they have successfully combined the visual identities of these two games uh bridged by 10 years about thereabouts no 15 years or thereabouts at this point yeah um you mentioned that I mean, what, what you really fell in love with with when you originally played Persona Three was the cast. Um, and obviously, Persona games are well known for their social link system, where you you get to know the cast better, a one on one. In terms of the characters in this remake, did they change any of them, or are all the characters still there as you remember? So the social links are. Um for the most part unchanged um so um for for the most part you're going through like the same stories that you experienced if you played the game before uh they experienced the same arcs and most of those arcs are are like we're good in the first place so um i i don't really mind that a couple of the arcs are a bit uh more questionable uh and leading to some like eyebrow raising moments and some mean-spirited representations which is just an unfortunate uh byproduct that the persona series has had yeah it's one of the things that's always turned me off playing them to be honest yeah um they did at least like in terms of representation they did at least remove the uh like transphobic scene that originally occurred on the the beach sequence i read about it yeah yeah so that's that's thankfully been changed but um one of the social links in particular like it's all just based like a lot of it is just based on like fat phobic jokes and representation, which kind of sucks and has aged very poorly. Um, but uh, like other than that, like for the good social links, uh, the more well-written ones, um, they are more involving than ever before. Like social links, uh, especially coming from five, I thought were gonna, uh, I thought I was going to be disappointed. I thought it was going to be a downgrade based on what I remember from them uh, from playing persona 3 so many years ago um but with the new kind of production value uh the way that uh the scenes are reshot the way that characters are more human in their proportions and their visual representation and the fact that there's like full voice acting for the social links now which for the most part is really well cast and performed mm -hmm. um i thought that just made like these social links shine in a way that i, I didn't even register in my memory. Like it just, it just seemed a lot better than I remember the social links, other than mm -hmm. the the bad ones. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, the, yeah, that was another improvement. And um, but most importantly, I think people would want to know. And also um, <clears throat> on point for our Valentine's Day theme, mm -hmm. uh, the social links that probably got the most change are the uh, romanceable social links. Um, so romance was kind of weird in the original versions of Persona Three because um you were essentially forced into uh dating the characters uh just by progressing the social links like it was never like it's never like an option presented to you as you're progressing the social link it's just like now you're in a relationship and for persona 3 uh the original and fes um there was actually like a jealousy mechanic that got in the way of 
So when you start progressing like one romanceable character's social link uh, and you get to the dating part and then you start just hanging out with another romanceable social link, like there would be like jealousy and you'd have to like uh, amend things with them and things like that. It was just like, it was very clumsy because you actually didn't get to opt into anything and it, it just all felt very uh, poorly executed. If you um, wanted to see the content, you need to cheat, essentially exactly and um it was just like there's the jealousy and then if you maxed out a social link then you'd be able to date the other girls and for some reason then it would be okay uh, so it didn't really make any sense at all um now uh they revamped those social links so that once you get to level nine uh which is the penultimate level uh you get to you, you the game gives you an option to profess your love uh, or mm -hmm. just to kind of remain friends. Um, and that's way, way better. It makes a lot more sense. It gives the player a lot more agency to role play the way they want. And uh, it also gives the female characters more autonomy as characters, which is mm -hmm. a, a very nice thing as well. So um, that was definitely, in terms of the social links, like the main improvement made and come, comes off very well. So there's no downside to remaining friends like do you still go up to the next level and get all the like bonuses from that yeah so even if you remain friends you still um get the the 10th level uh it's just instead of being like a romantic engagement it's just kind of a friend hangout which is great uh so they actually added those two different options for the the final level that's really cool because it, it would have sucked to um be blocked from getting to level 10 because you're not dating so I really like that that change. I, I like that a lot too. I mean, there are two ways to go about it in video games that I think really works. One, where you can romance, but you don't necessarily have to. You can remain friends like here, or Hades is another one. Like I think the romance options in Hades are some of the best content in the game, but like you don't need to. It will tell you, do you want to date this person? And if you don't, there's no repercussions. You can still get to that point. Or like, I don't know, the Fallout 4 version where polyamory is cool and you're your partners know about each other and they're fine with that it just kind of doesn't make you into a, a scumbag liar uh whereas some games do and I, just to see all of the content and I, I always find that to be a little bit gross absolutely yeah anyway um well that's a big quality of life fix i would say that one of the other big quality of life fixes in this game based on your review is tartarus so uh this is the central dungeon of persona 3 uh it was a bit much for many people in the original, uh, I say the original game, in the original game and its its remakes. Uh, but they did dramatically improve it here. How so? Yeah, so, um, yeah, Tartarus in the original was is a, a notorious slog. Um, you, could, you could justify it as a thematically appropriate slog because it's supposed to be this, like, very intimidating place um so the fact that uh you have to go through it slowly that there's like this fatigue mechanic that once you're progressing too much like your characters can kind of become like overwhelmed and want to like leave and then you have to uh to get out of there for the the night and uh, hope that you don't get any like bad encounters and bad luck on the way out like there, there's a lot of tension in the original design that um was actually kind of interesting but that interesting was also accompanied by just really uh 
like <laughs> kind of just unenjoyable uh mm. levels of engagement that uh was asked of you just to like get through the entire game um so here you just get to what really matters in the reload uh version is that you can just move through it quicker and you have more uh agency in how you want to move through it so uh, the fatigue mechanic is gone, so you can just kind of spend as much time in a section of Tartarus as you want. Um, you're still like progression gated uh, by the story of the game. Once you reach uh, a certain level uh, in a month of the game, there will be a barrier that will only unlock once you uh, reach the the full moon for that month, which is like kind of when every major story event in this game happens on like a full moon, essentially. Um, and so you just get to you have a dash button now which is a huge help that just lets you like speed past enemies if you don't want to fight them uh just the way the difficulty is balanced just requires a lot less grinding um and so you just need to spend fewer nights in tartarus uh but you can still pad it out if you want um i'd say it's like there's a bit less incentive um, then in Persona 5 to do like in Persona 5 you were kind of incentivized to do the palaces all in a single day which could be a bit exhausting and kind of lead to some pacing issues but here in Persona 3 originally there weren't too many uh, social link options or other interactions to do uh, at night because the game knew that you were going to be spending a lot of your nights going to Tartarus. Here, hmm. you don't have to spend as many of your nights going to Tartarus. Um, so the great thing that they added is these um, hangouts, these non-social link hangouts with the party members. So um, they, they really thought thought it through in both like kind of like a, a narrative and, and design perspective of being like, okay, players don't need to go to Tartarus as much anymore uh, because we redesigned it to be kind of more... Uh, breezy and easy to get through uh, but we're also gonna give you more time to get to know your team uh, with the uh, downtime you have so um, it's really up to you how quickly you want to do Tartarus you definitely don't need to feel pressure to min max the, to the extent that you did in Persona 5 um, which I really appreciate uh, but yeah it's, it's a it's a good balance I think that they settled on. Yeah, it sounds like they just rebalanced it rather than changed it too much. And they they got rid of one of the most anxiety-inducing aspects of it, The so they you can enjoy it more. Yeah, and so, yeah, that's where I was saying, like, the, the thematicness of Tartarus is lost, but in return, you just get a way more playable and enjoyable game. So I think it's, I think it's a fair trade-off. Yeah. Well, one of the, I would say, downsides about this particular entry is that you're not going to be getting the full uh, Persona 3 experience because, as we mentioned early on, there were so many different versions of this. Uh, Persona 3 Reload is a remake of the original version of Persona 3, which means that it doesn't include any of the extra story content from SES. Uh, it doesn't include the female protagonist from uh, Portable. It's just Persona 3. Now, uh, I, I think they may have announced that it's going to be released as DLC, which would make a lot of sense. Uh, and then inevitably in like a year or so, because it's a Persona game, they will probably release a Persona 3 Reload Silver or something like that, oh, where, God. It's, where it's going to be like the complete game, uh, maybe with even a little bit of extra content on top of that. Uh, how much does that bother you, frankly? Um, quite a bit. Honestly, It would if it was just DLC, it would bother me way, way less than if they put this into like a whole other full price package in a couple of years. 
um like you could if you really wanted to uh get behind atlas you could justify it by being like okay so the the answer and the female protagonist route were already extras for the base game so releasing them as dlc kind of makes sense but it's also like well these features the, this content has also already been existing for over a decade now so why couldn't we just get it with the original release so i'm not inclined to justify it um i can see their game plan like I kind it's of pretty knew this was gonna to be yeah. completely honest. Yeah, I, I I expected this from from the beginning. Um, I, I think it's just especially like the answer makes sense as DLC because it is literally like an extra epilogue on top of the game. But mm -hmm. the fact that we didn't get the female protagonist route, uh, even though I I know it it takes a lot of work. Like it's uh, it includes like completely different social links, completely different romances and uh, interactions um but it's just like come on like so many people like uh love that route and identify better with that route and the fact that you didn't include it in this base game is just like slapping those fans in the face so that kind of sucks yeah it's a problem and to the point where if i do get into this series this year and i think i might make a concentrated effort to do so uh when persona 6 is inevitably announced and released my plan would be not to play it for at least a year and a half because I know for a fact a year and a half later they're going to have Persona Six something coming out because that's been the that's been the strategy of Atlas for years and years and I would be very surprised if they didn't follow through with it uh, for this game. Yeah, for for for, for Persona Six, I, I think we can say uh, already years of in advance that there's no doubt. For here, I hope they they take a higher road. I, I hope. Yeah sure <laughs> um every single time i chat with somebody about a persona game i feel the urge to install and play one despite the fact i still am a little bit iffy about some of the some of the stuff man atlas do not like queer people or women or fat people they there's a lot of problems here um but i'm still feeling a little bit burnt out from uh a run of playing games which i'm going to be talking about in just a second for the discussion question i just want to ask you uh where would you recommend I start if I wanted to get a start on the Persona series? Would it be here or would it be five? What what would you recommend? I would say here. Um, and before Reload came out, I would have said five rather than Persona 3 FES or Portable. Mm -hmm. um, but the reason I say this game over five is one, it's like really historically important. And it also um, balances that that line between like being the kind of the last Persona game that was truly a Shin Megami Tensei game in kind of its tone and atmosphere and themes. Um, so I think for that reason, this game has a lot of uniqueness and uh, appeal there. But also just what I was talking about before, um, there's just a lot less... Like Persona 5 Royal is, is overwhelming uh, to play. It overwhelmed me at least uh, with just the sheer amount of interaction options you have for like every segment of your day. Um, in this game, that is toned down, and uh, it's just overall a more accessible experience in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, that said, if, if there's something about four or five in terms of the the characters or story that appeals to you better, just you can start there. But if someone just came up to me, just like, "What Persona game should I play right now?" I'd say Persona Three Reload for sure. Cool. Um, I think one thing we can say for sure is that it probably has a fantastic soundtrack. Oh yeah, it uh, it, it absolutely rules. Um, they they actually re-recorded 
uh, most of it. Um, and I personally think it's it's great. There, there are aspects of the original game soundtrack that were very like mid two thousands edge core, mm-hmm. um, but they kind of uh, they kind of uh, ironed out some of those edges, and while still retaining like a lot of the the soul and style of the original soundtrack um, in a way that I, I think it, it just sounds better now. So uh, yeah, the, the soundtrack is absolutely amazing. Uh, go listen to it, even if you don't play the game. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm going to move on to the discussion question uh, so we don't run too long in this episode. Um, over the last few weeks, I have been knee deep in some games. I have been on a run uh, and uh, I've been enjoying it. So I, I played Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, which was an absolute joy to play. Uh, I enjoyed every minute of it. I had so much fun. If you get a chance to, check out my review. Um, then I turned around and I finished a game that I started in 2023, which was Power Wash Simulator. Now, I would argue that Power Wash Simulator was not fun or even super engaging as I was watching YouTube videos alongside it the entire time I was playing. But... I will say that it was extremely relaxing to play that game. And then I pivoted again and I played uh, a game called Astalin. It's a eight bit inspired Metroidvania and it, it was so good. It really, it it, it hit me in my nostalgia place. It felt very nostalgic playing that game. So I enjoyed it on that level. And then I played Far Cry six, which I would not describe as fun or enjoyable, but I would describe it as engaging. I would describe Far Cry games as very engaging. So here's my question. I want to get your takes on this. Uh, Enjoyment of the game, it's enjoyment is kind of a catch-all term. uh, And I don't think that it tells the whole story uh, because I don't think that necessarily all media, movies, books, video games, uh, are designed for fun or enjoyment. It's meant for engagement. So I'm curious, what are some of the games that you've played in the past that you liked or even loved, but you didn't necessarily have fun playing? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll mention one I was just talking about, uh, Persona 3 FES. Ah, okay. Um, like, I was talking about, like, even though um, parts of, like, the design with Tartarus were uh, really tedious in a lot of ways, um, There, I, I kind of appreciated how that, like, the tense design of uh, that dungeon crawling informed the understanding of the story. I, I think that's that's really cool. Uh, like one of the things I, I'm looking for when I'm playing a game is like interesting like narrative design choices. So like how does gameplay mm. support like what is happening in the story? And, and that was an element of the game that uh, I, I thought worked well. And even though it wasn't very fun, it made for a like meaningful kind of experience mm-hmm. and and yeah i i agree that fun is just like uh it seems to just be like a relic um of measuring a game's quality that we've just been stuck with ever since like the 90s when i was reading game pro and like the main score was like fun factor that that was what determined a game's quality was its fun factor but yeah how much fun do you have playing it yeah but i, I think there's so many ways especially with like narrative design that games can just be meaningful and try to give you like an experience um where what you have to do in the game what the systems are um and how that's contextualized by whatever the world is whatever the story is um makes for like a unique expression of meaning that can only happen in video games as an interactive medium. So, Mm. um, I mean, like another game that 
I'm coming off of kind of fresh uh, Planet Laika, which we talked about like a month ago. That is not like a quote unquote super fun game, but it's interesting it's as hell. About. Yeah, it's fun. To, <laughs> it's fun to talk about. It's really interesting to play. It's interesting to think about. And uh, it just knows what it's doing and it's confident in how it's executing it. And <laughs> It knows what it's doing. Nobody else does, yeah. but it knows what it's doing. <laughs> and you can, even though you don't know what it's doing, you get a sense that it knows and that's really all you need. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I think that um, we, we can look at games uh, and, and appreciate them for so many different things. Fun is one of them uh, that we shouldn't like downplay. Like I could still pick up like a, a Mario game and say it's like, one of my favorite games that I played all year. Oh, yeah. um, but there's just so many different other ways that we can be talking about games that we don't need to limit it to fun equals quality. No, absolutely. At some point this year, I am going to pick up Super Mario Wonder, and I have an odd feeling that I'm going to have a ton of fun playing it because it's a Mario game. That's what it's for. Exactly. Um, it's not going to make me feel the deep things. Uh, if it does, I'll be surprised. But, you know, it's, it's, it, that's not what Mario is for. Uh, Des, how about you? Uh, for me, like fun, I think is just kind of like what kind of positive emotions does it like turn like instill in me and mm -hmm. engaging is more like, does it make me think, do I have to like sit up and just kind of like focus on it and put more brain power into it? So something that I think is like fun and engaging is uh, Kirby's Dream Course. If you've ever played that, it's essentially a Kirby golf game. And it's extremely cute. It's it's really fun, and just doing all these like little trick shots where you're you're basically smacking Kirby uh, into other enemies. It's it's incredibly enjoyable and rewarding. Uh, versus like another game that I play on occasionally is uh, Fortnite. It's fun, but I don't think it's engaging that hmm. much. It's because like I just I play it to turn my brain off, and if I die, I die. If I kill someone, I kill someone. Whatever. It's just mm -hmm. kind of something to do to pass the time. But something for me, and it's no surprise, but the Atelier games for me are very fun because I'm very like, I love creating like a super crazy bomb and just dropping it on like a level one enemy. And I don't have to do that, but it's so much fun to see what happens. And mm -hmm. it's like engaging where, where you're, you're crafting all these things and setting their traits and stats and you have so much control. And then just the end result, like the characters and everything is just enjoyable. But another game that I play and I've, I've tried to conduct you into this cult as well would be final fantasy 14 where like doing raids and stuff it's it's fun and then it's not it's engaging mm -hmm. and then it's not it's enjoyable and then it's not so it just kind of depends on what you're doing and you know some days it can be none of those things and it's just like it feels like a second job but you know the next yeah. day you might wake up and be like i'm gonna go beat the crap out of uh i don't know like bombs for a while and have fun doing it so mm -hmm. it's it's subjective for everyone, but I definitely agree to where it's like fun is hard to define. But for me, it's just, you know, what makes me kind of feel good? What gives you that like dopamine hit in your head and just what kind of puts a smile on your face? Um, I'll tell you that my in my opinion, I'll, I'll jump on a current bandwagon, which actually is a little bit for far away from us now, but I'll, I'll jump on it anyway. Uh, for me, the games that exemplify this uh fun versus engagement would be remedy entertainment. Uh, and the reason why is I adore their games. I think Sam Lake is doing some fantastic things with video game narrative and structure and how to tell a story uh, with all of his games. Um, 
I loved Alan Wake. I thought it was an amazing experience. I thought I really enjoyed Quantum Break, even though it's not as beloved as others. Control might have been one of my favorite experiences I've had in video games for the last five years. I don't think I had much fun, quote unquote, playing any of them, but I was super engaged with them. I was super into all of them. And I was enjoying them on that level, not on necessarily a fun level because control isn't that much fun to play. No. <laughs> uh, it's, it's and I not, like it but, too, yeah. Yeah, it's not. But like the atmosphere, the feel, the vibe, the story, the, everything about it just connects with me in a way. So I don't know. I was just playing, like I said, Far Cry. And I was thinking, wow, this isn't fun. And it tries to be fun. It tries so hard to be fun. I felt so sorry for Far Cry 6. It was like giving me like wacky weapons and you can like fire CDs at people. And and it, it, it tries to be wacky and crazy. And it's just like, no, Far Cry, that's not what you're for. Please just settle down and let me let me go back to my my quote unquote jungle warfare. Like be Far Cry. Don't try to be wacky and insane and fun. You're not fun. You're engaging. <laughs> Put that in the review. Just Far Cry, not fun. Given the given the reviews of Far Cry Six, that probably would have ended up in the box. Um, <laughs> uh, they're not as bad as they as they are. Far Cry Five had so much potential, and it was imagine doing a game about about religious fundamentalists in America and not mentioning gay people. What? Um, yeah. So the only one I, I the only one I have left now is Primal, uh, which will be interesting to play at some point but right now i'm i'm in i'm playing uh i'm playing something else right now so anyway okay well i want to thank you both for uh coming on with me tonight and talking about these wonderful games um i'm really really glad that grand blue fantasy got really uh, grand blue fantasy relink got released and i'm really really glad that persona 3 reload turned out to be as good as it as it uh did it's always really nice to come on and talk about good games there's a certain level of i guess enjoyment when it comes to like talking about the game's flaws but it i find it to be so much I, I walk away from these episodes feeling so much better when i walk away being like yay we just celebrated good games so i'm thrilled to death that they were good and i'm thrilled to death that both of you enjoyed them quite a bit one thing that i really like is hearing about why some why somebody likes something versus mm -hmm. if, if you tell me this is the greatest game in the world like i don't care but if you tell me mm. i love this game so much i am immediately wanting to know why and i want to experience it too so it's that's one thing that I like about uh, RPG fan just is we're often very positive and I've had some friends complain about how high our review scores often are, but it's mm -hmm. like, because we, we look at the positive and like feel it and just want to share that like enthusiasm with it. Like there's no fun and just beating down a game and just being like, this sucks. This is boring. Everything here. It's like, if it's not good, I don't want to talk about it. It's one of the reasons I've been so depressed lately with the discourse behind uh, suicide squad killed the justice league. Oh. Uh, it's just, it's just nonstop depressing. And incidentally, I'm someone who is quote unquote outraged by certain choices that the uh, that the developers of that game made. I have no interest in playing it whatsoever, but I also don't have any interest in bashing it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's just kind of there. I will say one thing that I really like about Suicide Squad, I've not played it, but I've never heard of King Shark and everything I've seen of him in that game, like he's the most like lovable dude. And I was like, I want to find out more about him. So Oh, if anything, in that case, watch watch the Harley Quinn animated series. I I'll check that out, and then I really want to see the um the Joker and Harley like isekai where they get transported to like uh what is it like Sengoku period Japan. So that mm. sounds really interesting too. So 
but yeah, I'm I'm a fan of him just from watching this game because I wanted to see how big of a trash fire it is, and I walked away with like this this lovable scrunko, as people call them. <laughs> yeah, just to follow up on your point, uh, Des, about like the people we have here, um, we did recently a um, a bad takes like a, a hot hot takes episode on uh, retro. And um, I, I thought it was funny that everybody, instead of like like something that that people definitely could have done, uh, approached that episode with could have been, uh, here's like a game that people love, uh, but it actually sucks. But literally nobody did that. Like everybody was basically taking the the thing of just like, well, this game that people don't like is actually really good. And I thought that was that was so refreshing, and and it turned out to be such a nice conversation where it could have uh in other hands devolved into such a mean-spirited one so um yeah i i agree that listening to people talk about why they like something is just so much more interesting than just uh i was about to swear uh than just pooping all <laughs> over it <laughs> i mean that that that's why we have an entire stable full of chocobos alex <laughs> yeah it's like i would as much as i dislike like lost odyssey i would much rather try to convince someone that final fantasy 13 is good and it's just mm. more fun versus trying to convince someone that I think the other game is not. But And this is the reason that I never talk about Earthbound. Okay, uh. <laughs> so if you are looking for a way to support us here at our, our favorite positivity uh, uh, factory, RPG Fan, uh, we've opened up a store. You can find it at www.rpgfan.com slash shop. Uh, we have some great stuff going on there. We have, you know, t-shirts, mugs, etc. But what we really want you to pay attention to is the book. So uh, we have a book of, I don't know if you've checked out our social media. If not, you should. You should check out our social media on Instagram and all the social medias. Um, we have review cards that Steph uh, lovingly puts together for us. And they are just like little summary cards of our reviews. And we partnered up and we have a book now that has like hundreds of them uh i love it i have one on my shelf uh it's so cool i just it, it's it's a really really cool uh cool little thing so i highly recommend that you check that out and again you can find it at www.rpgfan.com shop um another way you can support us here at rpg fan is check out our podcast you can check out the last episode of random encounter last week we were talking uh, at great length about Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, which I adored, and a Canadian indie adventure game called Little Guardsman, which I also adored, uh, and not just because I'm friends with the uh, creators of it. Um, we also have Retro Encounter, which is RPG fans' retro podcast. They just celebrated their 400th episode, which is kind of incredible. I uh, highly recommend you check out that episode. The topic will have major repercussions that will play out early this year. And their last episode was a draft episode where the panel picked out the best character, music, visual, gameplay, and story for RPGs. Alex, I believe you were on that episode. Did you have fun? It was a blast. Awesome. Uh, we also have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG fans' music podcast. The last episode released a few days ago, and it was the big Music of the Year 2023 extravaganza. I edited it. I uh, was really glad I got to because I had a really fantastic time, you know, with the music and everything. It's it's a really, really good episode. There are some great songs in there. So if you are a fan of RPG music, absolutely check that out. If you'd like to get in contact with us here at random encounter you can do so at podcast at rpgfan.com i would absolutely love to hear from you if you have any ideas for future episodes or discussion questions like i did the discussion question today uh if you have an idea for one please send it in uh if you'd like to send me an email you can do so at jloganrpgfan.com you can also find me on mastodon at jono logan at mastodon.social 
I have not been on Mastodon for a while. I've gotten so far away from social media. And to be completely honest, I am totally fine with that. That being said, we have two other people on this podcast and maybe they are still on social media. Des, where can we find you online? Uh, probably in like a dark forest or something like that. I basically don't go on social media much aside from Discord. So I am in the RPG fan Discord. So feel free to uh, send me a message. I believe I have message requests turned on. So you don't have to friend me. Uh, I've had a couple instances of just random friend requests from people who are very clearly bots. So uh, mm-hmm. just feel free to say hi first. Uh, cool. And then, yeah. And Alex, where can we find you online? Not on social media, but you can email me at alexfranicek at gmail.com. Look at us, us turning everything off. We're the we're the offliners. Off the um, grid. Off the grid, except for the fact that we're on a podcast. <laughs> um, speaking of that, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends to help us get the word out there. You can rate us on iTunes, your other podcast players of choice. If you want to write us a review, I would love to read it. Uh, again, Des Alex, thank you so much for giving me your evening. I so appreciate it. And I so appreciate you you both uh, taking the time to play through these games so thoroughly. It's uh, It's really, really great to talk about something that i love see i'm tying it back into the valentine's day thing and (laughs) getting a chance to talk to folks about something that i love very much which is video games is always a pleasure so thank you so much for coming on thanks for having us anytime and thank you everybody out there for joining us and whatever you are playing have fun